Friends, welcome back to the show today. It is my honor to be joined from Chicago, Illinois by Sam Macho. How are you, sir? I'm great, Luke. How are you? I'm good, man. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be on, man. It's great to be on. As, as someone who lives in Austin, Texas, the, the Acho name is a name that everyone seems to be familiar with. But one of the things I think we need to start with is not just that you are UT Hall of Fame, but you were named by, uh, I believe it was GQ Magazine, as one of the six NFL players with the genius IQ. <laughs> Do you feel like that puts pressure on you now that you have been identified as someone who is, quote unquote, a genius? Now uh, that I feel like I'm finally just getting the recognition I've always deserved. <laughs> like that's what I've been waiting. You know, I didn't know about the G- GQ one. Maybe I heard that before, but I did hear about this. Sporting News did something where they had me as the top 20 smartest athletes in all the sports. And I'm like, you know, finally all my hard work is paying <laughs> off. Now, I don't know how they judge that. Like, are you looking at like GPAs? Are you looking at like yeah. football smarts? What are you looking at? But that was, uh, you know, I, I, that did make me happy because I feel like I could always say that, you know, to my grave. So you have a younger brother who uh, also uh, – athlete as well retired athlete whenever you interact and have a disagreement with him is that a piece of information that you would like to recirculate and say hey, uh i think we both know that i'm the genius not you he doesn't grow my brother has a, a talk show as well so i'm on i'm on espn he has a show on fox he has a great job of circumventing the truth in mm-hmm. so many ways and so uh if if you present information to him, he'll oftentimes just like parry off that information and just go with whatever point he wants to make. And so I think I'll just like wear that as like a, uh, just as a reminder, like, Hey, in case you forgot, here you go, man. Genius IQ. Yeah. Yeah. It seems that the ability to parry off information is a skill set that it's deeply appreciated on talk shows these days. So congratulations to him for finding the right vocation. Yes. Yeah. When, uh, when you and guys, you two interact publicly like that, uh, how hard is it for you not to, uh, go back to your childhood and bring up, Hey, I remember I was there from the beginning with, uh, you as a little kid. So you can't talk smack to me. I think that's why we don't have a show together. Like we've had conversations about doing shows together and I'll watch his show and he watches my show. And so I'll hear his stuff and I'm like, man, I know you don't really like, I could poke so many holes into all your arguments, not because I mean, maybe you could say because they're flawed, but even more so, I know you. Yeah. So I know that I know there's three or four different examples that you're leaving out <laughs> yeah. conveniently to prove your point. Yeah. Yeah. My brother is in sales and he's done uh, quite well for himself. Um, but I can only imagine just like the amount of um, factless statements that he makes <laughs> with great confidence to persuade people to do his uh, his will is... <laughs> Both impressive and terrifying at the same time. And I'm not saying your brother does that. I'm saying my brother does that. I'm saying my brother does that. He just tried, he's like, say it with confidence, right? Say it with your chest. He says it with his chest. I'm like, bro, what about all these things? Yeah. I I deeply admire my brother's ability to not let little things like facts and reason get in the way of his confidence. So uh, I'm just saying, like, as my brother does that, and I appreciate that about him. So. Yeah. Um, okay. There's a, a section in your book. You have an, a new book that uh, comes out uh, soon. Change starts with you. Uh, there's an important detail that I think I need to start with that you mentioned you have what you call architects. These are people that help you have the experiences that you want. And on page 15, you list off Brett, Boomer, Lucas, and Steve. Now, is that Steve, the architect that you're describing, one Steve Carter that you and I both know? That is the same Steve Carter who actually hadn't seen, we hadn't talked in a long time, in the middle of the football season. He's in this church world doing his yeah. thing, teaching, preaching. And we both, I, I ran into him on a flight but mm-hmm. yesterday, the day before we recorded this, and a three and a half hour flight, we were both coming back from Phoenix. That is Steve Ryan Carter. We've done podcasts together. We've gone to prisons together. Uh, he's a mentor of mine, a friend of mine. Uh, we've talked about life, about fear, about mm-hmm anxiety about struggle about all the things that you could think of under the sun and uh he is one of those i define them as architects those people in your life who help you not necessarily like build a life you want to live but really like help you un really uncover some of those like deep down desires and vision and passion that god puts in your life yeah and when you said you guys went to prison together that was by your own choosing not because of a bad decision correct uh, maybe both no i'm kidding that was my, that was my we didn't go like we both we, okay 
So we we both did prison ministry together a few okay. times. I've seen some minister in prisons and come and leave the prisons. We were not both locked up at the same time. Okay, just just wanted to clarify for my listeners. Um, so Steve Carter, the same Steve you sat on a plane next to, is the Steve that I was on the phone sitting in my daughter's room on her uh, beanbag yesterday afternoon talking to him, uh, getting some gossip on you before you guys ended up on the plane together. So that is uh, very fortuitous that you both were on that same flight that I guess I was talking to him just as he was about to board yes yes and i was glad because now i'm a little bit extra like i say extra prepared because i don't know what's coming all this stuff about brothers and information <laughs> but, <laughs> but i'm well, glad to be on well what i would also say is he preached at our church a couple months ago uh, in austin you went to school university of texas which is in austin for my listeners and he definitely told me that he reached out to you and he told our church about some uh, colt mccoy story that you gave him because when you talk about colt mccoy in austin you're going to make people like you like that is you know, like who can not like Colt McCoy if you're in Austin, Texas? Well, yeah. So, and it sounds like that's for a Colt McCoy story. I think people, I didn't realize how much people love Colt until the first day of class, my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Mind you, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm 18 years old. I might've been what, 17, 18. I'm a freshman. I'm 18. I'm a freshman. We went to summer workout. So no one was on campus, right? Colt had just, I, mean, I don't. I think his first year might have been ten and three and beat Oklahoma, all the things. So he's a sophomore now. He's well known. He's established. He's yeah. the guy. You know, Vince Young, right? National championship. He's the future. And we're doing our summer workouts, and we're friends, right? He's leading Bible studies. We're like going to church together. We're just hanging out. Like he's cold. I'm Sam. No big deal. No one's on campus. We're just doing our thing. Like a couple summer class, summer students, summer students are taking classes. And so life is life. Nothing is happening. I thought I was good and fine and normal. Day one of fall classes begin, and now campus is buzzing. I mean, it's, you know, 50,000 students, 30-something thousand undergrad. It's a lot of people, but no big deal, right? I'm walking through campus. I'm a little bit lost, whatever, whatever. I see my friend. I see Colt. And so, like, across the, you know, pavilion, whatever, I'm like, hey, Colt, Colt, what's up, Colt? All of a sudden, everyone, whoosh, turns their head and looks at Colt. Mind you, I didn't, I didn't know why, but he had, like, a hat on, like, Real low. He, I, don't, he, I don't know if he has yeah. glasses on. We gotta try to keep his disguise. I'm like, Colt, my bad. Oh, sorry, Colt. I didn't mean, you know, let me stop saying Colt. And so everyone, he had to like dodge and duck to class. So that was mm-hmm. my first you know, Colt McCoy experience. That's hilarious. That, uh, that makes perfect sense because uh, the church I'm a part of is a church that he was attending uh, back in those days. And so my in-laws were part of this church before I was a pastor. And so I'd come down and visit my in-laws. And there was a, one time that y'all had, uh, had just played probably South Florida. And it was an evening game. I watched at my in-laws house uh, outside of Austin and go to church the next morning. And I see Colt stroll in like 10 minutes late to church. I assume it's probably just to deal with, you know, not being a distraction to people. He strolls in and I see like this guy on the back row look back, sees this college student, realize it's not just college student, it's Colt. And so he literally shoves the, his family down the <laughs> pew to make room for Colt. Now, Colt is a good decision maker. He kept walking, went somewhere else because anyone who's going to push their family so that, you know, he can sit there is not a... um you know, it's not the person you want to sit next to, but uh, right. when when I was in undergrad in Abilene, West Texas, which is where near where Colt grew up, he would come up and do off-season workouts. And so my first Colt McCoy story is I'm there working out in the off-season. Uh, I'm a grad student, but I was a, a pole vaulter on the track team. And so I still need the strength coach, and so I'd go work out still. And so Coach Hess walks up to me, and I, I usually don't say his name, but you know, I just did there anyway. Well, sorry, Coach Hess. But he points over and goes, "Hey, you see that kid over there? He's got a he's got a he's got an offer from UT, but he's not going to make it. He'll be back here playing for us in two years." And um, the rest of the story is Coach Hess is no longer coach anymore, uh, and Colt turned out to to do just okay with himself. Yes, Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor. He's in the Ring of Honor. All the things you could imagine. Winning his quarter. I mean, one time, I mean, it was a. I'm gonna say it was a dream, but. In my first three years at Texas, I mean, year one, we're, I think we were 10 and three, won the Holiday Bowl. Year two, my sophomore year, we're 12 and one. The only reason we didn't go to the national championship was that was that game, the Crabtree game. The Crabtree so Crabtree game. Crabtree it, right? Yeah, we still it. were us, Tex, Tech, uh, Tech, and OU were three way ties. We beat OU. Yep. And then my junior year, Cole was a quarterback. Yeah, we were national championship. We went to, you know, undefeated went to national championship. That's when he got hurt uh, against yep. Marcel Darius. And so, that, I mean, like, I think I took for granted. Now, I mean, shoot, if I was a fan now and somebody yelled Colt McCoy, I'd be like, oh, my God, it's Colt. Let me get an autograph. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, he's the kind of person you want to root for. I mean, he's the guy that, uh, you know, does everything right. And uh, you know, obviously, it sounds like you're one of those guys, too. I've heard a lot of great things about you. And Steve speaks very glowingly of, uh, of you and what you've done with your life. And uh, so kind of backstory, uh, your dad was born in Nigeria. Uh, is your mom from there as well? Yes. Okay. Mom and dad from there. You're born in Dallas. Is that right? Correct. And uh, your dad's a pastor? Yep. Pastor, uh, 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 doctor in mental health. So he's a marriage counselor uh-huh. uh, and business, does business stuff as well. Okay. So where'd you go to high school? I was what? at St. Mark's. St. Okay. Mark's School of Texas. Yep. Okay. I don't know that one. What uh, What public <laughs> school would you have been zoned? Like, like oh, what, what part I mean, of Dallas? I, I grew up in Dallas proper, so the part that was actually okay. called Dallas. Like we were close enough, like I could have gone to Richardson High School. Yeah, um, you know, but I, I mean, I was, it was a small St. Mark's, a small private school, eighty something yeah. people in my graduating class. It was a small school. Gotcha. My dad went to Richardson High School. He's from oh, Richardson. Nice. So okay, so so you're from Dallas. Went to private school. Ended up coming to Texas, and uh, th- things worked out pretty well for you from there. And uh, you recently were um, inducted into the UT Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, again, uh, did your brother get that? I mean, I mean, <laughs> like, no, he didn't. <laughs> I, here's the thing: like, I feel like I would, uh, I would have a list of all these things that my brother didn't get that I would get. I just, it just seems like you guys are close friends, but also like, you know, he's still your little brother. I'm still. I'm not. I'm going to say I'm mad, but he did get a chance to speak at commencement last year. Where I guess a year and a half ago, so I'm like, all right, guys, like, what's up? Like, what's what are y'all waiting for? You know, do I need to get the Hall of Honor thing to get me? But no, he's not in the Hall of Honor just yet. Now, uh, his argument would be, hey, man, you got to be out for for a certain period of time, and got to be out for ten years, and I, you're you're ahead of me, so your time is up, my time is next. Wait, I, I wait, and I'll say, you know what? We'll see. Oh, hold on, did I get this wrong? Is he older than you? He's younger. He's younger. But he was out. No, what I'm saying is like, oh. so I'm already, my 10 years has passed, right? 2011, okay. boom. So he's like, so his, his, his time to be able to be inducted would be 2020, 20, I guess would be three. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm not good with math. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. So things worked out well for you. You were in the league for eight years. Uh, you served in the, the what's it called? Players Association yeah, as a yeah. VP for a while. Um, yeah. Okay. So s- sports worked out pretty well for you. It seems like it, it, it did good for you. Now, I haven't had too many athletes on. And one of the reasons is sometimes you're just like, hey, I was awesome at sports and life's pretty great for me and everything's wonderful. And the one other athlete who also uh, went to Texas, her husband played a couple years before you, but she, you're, you and your brother were track guys, right? Like you were, you yeah, were throwers. Yeah, yeah. 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 You both did pretty well in that from, from what the internet says. But uh, so Sonia Richards Ross is a name you probably know. And so do you know Sonia and Ross? Yeah, I know Sonya and A-Ross. I know both of them. They're, they're good people. Big fan of both of them. So uh, Sonya's been on the podcast. And when I first got pitched a book, I was like, I'm a huge track guy. I love Sonya. She's one of my favorite athletes. Like the arm sleeves and everything. Like pole voters yes. don't wear those. Otherwise, I would have because I'm just like, I like the like I like the vibe of it and all that. Anyway, uh, got to know Sonya and Ross. Just great people. And one of the things I really appreciate about the way she told her story is like, she talked about something that she considered her, her biggest loss in her life. And, um, it, that's not easy to do. And it seems like with this book that you're writing, you talk about a lot of great things that didn't come from things going great for you, that you had to go through adversity and loss and actually defeat can be some of the best thing for any of us. First of all, so what makes you choose to talk about losses like that when you could just talk about, hey, look what I did, and this was great, and this is what I got accomplished, and you know everything works out great if you work hard, but what made you instead choose to talk about defeat and loss as something that's a great teacher for us? I was reading something yesterday on that flight when I was with Steve Carter, and I'd written it down, maybe in my notes section of my phone, or maybe even on some paper, and the whole premise was that if I go and look back on all of my greatest victories, usually what preceded those greatest victories were really times of pain, struggle, doubt, and defeat. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, man, you went to Texas. It was great. And all these wins. Dude, I wanted to quit my freshman year. Hmm. I didn't think I could make it my freshman year. They're asking me to try and you – know, Colt, Colt is a great thrower. Colt's also fast. They're like, hey, Sam, your job – First day of practice, I want you to you know, 
not only tackle Jamal Charles, who's one of the fastest dudes in also, but also if the Colt, if Colt doesn't give it to Jay Charles, you got to go tackle Colt too. I'm like, guys, that's physically impossible. Like, I, I can't do it. And the coach's like, hey, that's the job description. Yeah. Like, I wanted to quit my freshman year. And my roommate, he almost quit. We're, I'm like, this is not doable. And God's grace, I was able to to get on the field. Like, my first my first play in college football was a sack. And it's like, oh, wow, you first played a sack. Dude, I was out there by accident. That was, I was supposed to redshirt my freshman year. Like, they, the only reason I got in that game is because one of our players had gotten suspended. The other guy got injured. Our defensive ends coach, Coach Giles, who didn't know I wasn't supposed to redshirt, he needed somebody on the field. He said, hey, Sam, find your helmet, get on the field. But, Coach, before, you told me not even to have my helmet out there because, you know, I'm not supposed to play. Well, he said, go out there. Get on my helmet. Nobody blocks me. I sack Andy Dalton. It's like, oh, I should have picked Ray. It was great. Dude, I didn't play again the rest of the game. I'm like, what happened? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, I wasn't supposed to play that game. And so I guess my point is, like, even in football, right, injuries, broken legs, torn pecs, right? I, I broke my fibula in my third year in the NFL. I tore my pec my eighth year in the NFL. There's so much difficulty and struggle that comes before any any benefit. And so really my book, you know, Change Starts With You, Following Your Fire to Heal a Broken World, The, the like the – premise of that book is really this idea that like it's like you're using your pain and turning it into purpose yeah so when you had those two big injuries when you're in the league uh i I think it was i forget which one maybe it was the pec injury but you were mm, i think it was the other one um but you were out and you stumbled into what you consider to be your real passion and uh from the book it says that football uh actually might not be the fire that you have, but speaking, writing, encouraging others is the fire. And you stumbled into this writing TV gig to encourage others through the injury. Right. That's exactly what happened. So like, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go to the NFL. It's going to be great. And like first couple of years, it was year one. I, I struggled a bit, didn't play a lot. And then finally I got my opportunity and I did great. Right. Seven sacks as a rookie and all the things. Year two, I'm starting, man, life is good. Mind you, there's other stuff that was going on. If you read like my first book, Chain, uh, let the world see you, you'll hear some about some of those stuff as well, like hardships as well. Well, year three, new coach, new staff, new system. And I'm battling for playing time, but it's the third game of the season. And I'm like, man, I finally get, I feel like I finally was getting in my groove, partly because somebody else got injured. So I got more playing time. And I just sacked Drew Brees. We we're playing in the Superdome, playing the Saints. I'm with the Cardinals. Yeah. I'm thinking, man, I've arrived. I've arrived. Like, now y'all are going to see yeah. what y'all got with Acho. And um, I don't know if I talk about myself in third person when I was playing. Maybe I do now. <laughs> but anyways, uh, and I go and the longest short of it is, like, I end up breaking my leg. Someone falls. One of my teammates gets blindsided, falls on my leg. I break my fibula. I'm out for the season. And I was in pain. Like, it was hard. Not only this physical pain of like a broken leg, but a emotional pain of all that I put into it, what will happen now? And one of my friends, he said, Hey Sam, you're suffering, but you're not the only one suffering. You should consider sharing your suffering. And I'm like, what do you talk about? What do you mean share with suffering? He's like, dude, don't suffer alone. You're, you live in Phoenix. You live in Arizona, suffer with the city. It's people all around this community that are hurting physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you love to encourage. So do that even in your pain. And I'm, and I'm like, well, okay, how he says, well, you love talking. You love speaking. How about you hit up a local media, uh, tell them what you're going to do and, and ask if they want to bring a camera. And so I did I actually wrote a blog called from fields to fan. And essentially the blog was about this idea of like, at that point of the injury, I was on the field in the Superdome, sacked your It was amazing. You know, third quarter of the game, well, I go to the tunnel after my injury. I get carted off, go to the tunnel, do the x-ray, and I'm trying to, like, get information. I don't know. You know, the team doctor wasn't right there at that moment. It was one of the assistants. And all. And so they said, hey, Sam, we're not going to be able to return in this game. And I'm a little bit frustrated and distraught. Well, I continue, and they take off my, my cleat, and I'm crutching in the tunnel, and I stop, and I see – Drew Brees and the Saints offense going against the Cardinals defense. And instead of like, I don't know if it was the fact that I didn't have my cleats on, but something in me was like, Oh my gosh, that's Drew Brees. Whoa. Like this is, those are the players out on the field. And I felt like a fan Hmm. and it was just really interesting shift. And so I, I started to write about that and I wrote this blog and I shared it with the, 
uh, lady at Channel 12, and I told her, hey, my name is Sam Macho. I'm the starting outside linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals. I just broke my leg. Most players, when they get injured, they disappear, and that's kind of the NFL works, right? Mm-hmm. The shit set sail, whatever. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be going to uh, homeless shelters. I'm going to be going to schools for kids with autism. I'll be going to um, just any place where people are suffering and, and suffering with them. Yeah. Let me know if you want to bring a camera. And they said, yes. Yeah. So I turned into this segment called Sam in the city, where every Tuesday they'd highlight a different place that I went to, whether it's a hospital, a, a after school program, you know, et cetera. And also fun stuff of going and checking out stuff that pro athletes never get a chance to do. I went to the Barrett Jackson car show, went to uh, the, the, the waste management Phoenix open, right? Golf. So I have stuff that yeah. pro athletes usually come. So it was a really cool opportunity and it was on TV. And now fast forward seven, eight years later, I'm on ESPN using those skills that I learned from an injury to continue on my second career. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, follow up question. First one. Um, when you said you went from field to fan and obviously there's a great alliteration there. So that works perfectly for a segment, of course. Um, but when you're in the uh, underneath the, uh, yeah, in the tunnel, underneath the dome, like you're, you're looking and you see Drew Brees not as the guy that you're trying to sack, not as the guy you're competing against, but then with your shoes off, you see him as a different, pers- like a different perspective as a fan. Did it like? Did you feel like it? Kind of like a step down? Like, did you feel like to to move from like being on the field to being a fan? Like, w- w- what was that feeling like? It didn't feel like a step down. It just felt very separate. It just okay. felt different. Mm-hmm. So. It was it was this idea of I'd always seen these guys as my opponent. I'm in the field. I'm in the game. I'm at the stadium. Like we're doing our thing. And now it was no longer that. I'm like, oh wow, there's Patrick Peter. Like these guys are my teammates. But I'm like, yeah. oh wow, that's Pat P or Matt Shaughnessy or these. Like wow, that's pretty cool. But there was no ability for me to go out there and be a part of it. Yeah, I had no ability, so it wasn't a step down. It was just separate, right? If you don't have cleats, you're not going to be out on the field. Sure, you don't have helmet, you don't have shoulder pads. You're just, you have to be a bystander, mm-hmm. and so it just was like, oh, that can no longer, at least at this moment in time, be me. So there became this new observation yeah. and these new muscles I had to to learn how to build. Gotcha. When the your friend gave you the advice that you're not the only one suffering, go suffer with other people. If you were to give someone else that same suggestion, hey, you're going through some adversity, don't do this alone, go see someone else's adversity. Why would you tell them that? And what do you think it would cause them to experience or how would it cause them to experience their own suffering differently? So this friend of mine, he's in that book as well. His name is Lucas. He's one of my architects, if you will. Um, he knows me really well. Yeah. And I'm a guy who's like, I need to be around people. I want to be around people. Like, I that That's where I get my energy from. So he knows that, Sam, you're not going to be great if you're just cooped up in a room by yourself. Like, go, do, live, experience, write. Even if it's just words that bring you freedom, write. Mm-hmm. Do something. And so the, he gave me that advice and he knew me. And that ended up being the perfect advice. He knew about my skills and abilities and gifts, stuff that I've been suppressing or repressing all this while he saw something in me. So he said, Hey Sam, let me try and bring that out. Even in the midst of your pain. Now everyone's different. Someone else may not need to at that moment suffer with the city. You may need to try and like process that and grieve alone. Right? Like, and sometimes there are seasons we need to grieve alone. I talk about this in the book where Nehemiah, before he went to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the walls of the city, he mourned, he wept, he was sad. Like it was hard. You know, the same thing happened after, you know, George Floyd was killed. Me and some guys uh, went to do some stuff in Chicago on the south side. I was like, dude, we were, I was in tears. Like that podcast with Steve Carter I was doing, I, we recorded a podcast soon thereafter. I was weeping. We didn't, we didn't end up releasing that episode. I was weeping. Hmm. And sometimes pain precedes progress. Sometimes pain is the only primer for what God has for you to do. And so when I talk about, when at least my friend Lucas talked about suffering with the city, I think he understood something about me where he said, Sam, things have, have been great for you. Went to the national championship, academic Heisman trophy, and you're in the NFL and starting and nice and good. But what is, what are you not, what have you not processed yet? Hmm. Like when, I, when I broke my leg, I remember breaking it. And I was, I, I wanted to go back in the game. Like it hurts. But adrenaline and, you know, what, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like, I, it was broken. It was a high ankle, but he's like, get me in the game. 
Yeah. I want to be in it. And so I said, guys, just give me some Tylenol. I'm good. They're like, Sam, it might be broken. I said, guys, I'm good. Give me some Tylenol. Advil, tape it up. I'm good. They're like, Sam, it might be broken. Mind you, I've never broken anything in my life. I've played a long time. Hmm. been healthy. They said, just go back, get an x-ray. If it's not broken, you'll be able to come back in the game. I said, God, it hurt. okay, fine. Well, hurry up. So I go back there and I, um, I do my x-ray and I remember they, they told me it was broken and I had just started dating my wife at the time. She was in Nigeria. And the long and short of it is, I remember she called me after that game. And I was like, hey, babe, no, all's good. No issues. You know, <laughs> he's like, what's wrong? Like, how the game goes? Oh, it went well. You know, we, we lost, but, um, you know, I played pretty good. And she's like, okay. And usually I, she knows there's something different. I'm like, so I kind of hang, we get off the phone and I hang up and I try to hold back the tears then, right? I want to look big, bad, tough, strong. Yeah. She calls me back. She's like, what's really going on? And I'm like, man, I don't know. If you're going to talk to someone who was trying to be the big, bad, tough guy, who was trying to keep the tears back, why would you tell them to not do that? Why would you tell them that there's a season for mourning like Nehemiah did? Yeah, I would tell them there's power in your tears. Hmm. The strongest I've ever felt on a football field were moments, minutes after tears. Hmm. So fast forward to now 2018, my second big in- injury, and this is right before that happened. There was going, uh, tore my pec, but this is the, a couple weeks beforehand. I mean, going through a lot. Right now, I'm married and kids, and still trying to figure out life. I'm still trying to keep it all together, big, bad, tough. I got all the answers. Not trying to allow this pain to shape me. No, man, I want to look the part and do the part, and I'm good. And I wasn't. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. another architect friend. Same kind of thing. And Boomer, he's in that list as well. These friends were with me during that time of like, dude, how, am I, how can I be a, a, a good husband? How can I be, a, how can I like love my wife well? How can I love my kids well? Instead of supposed to getting angry with them quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, how, do, how do I be who God made me to be? What is going on? And so I remember during this time, um, during this time, I started going to counseling right? Going to therapy and like through a friend, I started telling him about like, Oh man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And he's like, dude, you're not, you're not, you're not. And, um, the long and short of it is like, I texted some friends who were a part of the team, one of our sports psychologists and uh, a lady named Jan, who was, um, our team nutritionist. And I was like, guys, I don't know what to do with these emotions. <laughs> like there's all the emotions inside of me. I don't know what to, how to deal with them, what to do. And I remember, a text message essentially was saying, Sam, like we are for you. We are with you. We have your back. It's okay not to be okay. Hmm. I see that text. So I think I started to cry. Then when I saw it in my room, I get myself together, go to sleep, wake up, go to practice the next day. And I, I'm mind you training camp, NFL, eighth season, just signed a multi-year contract. And I'm trying to go make the team and prove myself and prove my worth and all these things. And so, you know, we have these golf carts that take us from the dorm to where practice. Yep. And I had my headphones in. I'm listening to like just Lecrae and some a song called What You Mean. Right? Like, mm-hmm. to me, what you mean? What you mean? I'm like getting by, whatever. And I'm like, boom, going like nothing's going to distract me, dialed in, fo- focus on. And all of a sudden, because mind you, I felt like God had been doing something with my heart through these friends, through this counselor, just through life. Like, it's like he was doing like open heart surgery on me in so many ways, right? So I'm listening, like, what you mean with the boom? Got dialed in. And all of a sudden, the song switches to the next song on my on my phone, which happened to be a song by Hillsong United called When I Lost My Heart to You. Hmm. You know, and it's like it talks about like you found my heart. Yeah. You found my and I'm listening, I'm like trying to change it. Cause I'm on the cart with my teammates going to practice. And I'm like, what is going on? These emotions start to come up again. And I keep, I'm pressing the button and it's not changing. And now the tears are coming. It's not changing. And I, I tell the dude, stop the cart, stop the cart. So I get off the cart. I say, I'm going to walk the rest of the way. And I just start to weep. And I remember calling my wife and saying, Hey, I don't know what's going on. All these and so anyways, um, she's like, is this from the Lord? I was like, I think so. She's like, all right, then you're good. You know? And, um, I walk to practice and the first person I see is Jen, the lady who I texted, who texted me back saying, Hey, we're with you for you. Yeah. And all of a sudden the emotions start coming up again. And 
at this point, I didn't want to like cry and shed these tears in front of my teammates. So I like, yeah, find, no. like, a, you know, you've been your athlete, you get it. Find like a back corner. She like follows me there. I start to weep and weep and weep. And the spirit of God just infused her and was just like speaking to me through her saying, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. It's okay. I'm with you. Like, it wasn't like, no, man, go show the world your tears or your fear. It was like, no, you're good. And I love you. And I'm for you. And God loves you. And God's for you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to practice that day. You know, like I'm the consistent, the leader. I didn't want to practice. And I remember saying, she's like, Hey, just, you know, I think it's best that you're with people, you know, not by yourself right now. Yeah. So I went out to practice and I felt power. I felt power. I was dominating our first couple periods. Like it was something different. Hmm. And I remember finishing like one period of practice. You get it. Like you have like 10 minute segments or eight minute or nine minute. And I finished that period, dominated the period. People were looking at me like, dude, what is up? I just feel like this dude is killing it out here. And I remember like taking a knee and starting to weep again in between our periods of practice. And as I'm on my knee, I, I see Gloria, the sports psychologist, the other person I texted. And I look at her like through like the tackling dummies, you know, the little bags that go side yep. forth. And I look at her and I kind of mouth like, I say, Glory, like, I feel power right now. And she looks at me, nods her head, and she says, This is good. Hmm. This is good. And so to the person that says, Well, I gotta keep it together because I gotta do it for my family or for my wife or kids or for my husband or for my boyfriend, or whatever, or for my whatever for for do, doesn't matter. Like Submit to God, submit your emotions to God, submit your fears to God, submit your will to God, submit it all to God. God will use all of that. God used my pain. Mm-hmm. My job, my, my body is my, was my moneymaker. I yeah. broke my leg. God used that for his glory. My body was my moneymaker. I tore my pec. I couldn't play. God used that for his glory. That year when I tore my pec and couldn't play a few weeks later after that, after that you know, period, I tore my pec out for the season. That was the year me and some teammates got together to raise almost a million dollars for this, a million dollars for the city of Chicago. Right. We started a nonprofit to help athletes think about impact and justice and like yeah. making change. So my whole point is don't run from the pain, run towards it. Mm-hmm. God, will, God will be your protection and your guide. Yeah. I want to get to uh, that million dollars and what you guys did to uh, fight the uh, the concept of food deserts, which is something that uh, not everyone, uh, maybe who's listening to the podcast, understands. But uh, if I could go back, the the text message you get in that moment where you say, oh, you know, what do I do with all this? And uh, the, the professional, uh, no, is a nutritionist who says, it's okay to not be okay. And you read that and you start weeping. What did you feel when you read those words that caused such a like primal, like emotional response? Why, why did that phrase, it's okay to not be okay, mean so much to you? Because it, I felt that I wasn't alone. Hmm. My biggest fear, and I was reading a book, you know, talking about like, hey, what are your fears? And like, if so, then what? Right. Okay. I, my, I want to people please. Well, if people don't like you, then what? Well, then this. And if that happens, then what? Then this. And, and I kind of was going down a list. And one of my biggest things is like, man, it will. If this, uh, if that, if this, if that, and then what, then what? Well, then I'll be alone. Or I'll be abandoned. Or people won't like me. All these things, like, I'll be. And so, like, and that's a very, like, innate need. People to be, you know, children need parents, you know? Like, as yeah. you get older, you need adults. You need somebody, you're grown. You need somebody to take care of you. Yeah. And and so this it was this idea that, hey, even in your ugliness, I'm here. Even in your disdain i'm here even at the bottom of the pit right joseph got thrown into a bottom of a pit i'm here at the top i'm there too everywhere and so it was like this this thing of hey guys i'm about to show you like the ugly and that's why i showed my architects like lucas boomer steve and my brother in so many ways i'm gonna i'm gonna show you all the ugly will you still accept me will i still be Will I be abandoned? And I was like, nope, we're not going anywhere. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be ugly, to look ugly, to think ugly thoughts, but submit those thoughts to God and let yeah. him change those thoughts. So that, that was, that's how I felt. Wow. And I, I don't think you're alone. Uh, I also don't think it's, 
coincidental that it was music that had a way to get there. One of the things I've been processing recently is how music has a way, especially for me, like as, as I've kind of worked through some grief for the last couple of years, is that music has a way to almost like circumvent the intellectual to get to the heart. And I want to like reframe things and think about them and just ideas and say conceptual, but music has a way to like bypass that and get right to the heart. I had a moment, I think I've told the story in the podcast before, but after my mom passed away, uh, I was at my jujitsu gym and I was training and just in the middle of class rolling and of all songs to come on, it was Tupac's Dear Mama came on and I was born in Philly. Hip hop was a big part of it, especially my childhood. And that song was a song that I always liked since I was a kid. And I'm processing the grief of my mother. That song comes on. It's like the moment where I don't want to be emotional. At Jiu-Jitsu class, I'm rolling with this dude who's a large dude who smashed me in the first place. I don't want to cry because it looks like, oh my goodness, I'm getting hurt. I'm crying. But it was really just like, no, no, Tupac from, you know, 35 years ago or whatever was like bypassing my emotions or my my intellect to get to my emotions and go, hey, there's some stuff in here you got to you gotta acknowledge. And, and deal with yeah the body keeps the score the yeah. body really does keep the score and our emotions there's not like a you can try to shut them off and 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 that and that's that that can happen but the issue is when you at least in my experience when i try to shut off those negative emotions i shut off the positive ones as well yep the joy that the the you know the passion the vigor and that's not how we're created to be. We're created to feel, to 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 love, to live. And yep. words can do that, and music can do that as well. A lot of my writing, I'll write while listening to music, which I never thought I was never like. I used to be a guy who had to work in silence. Yeah. If I hear a sound, I'm like distracted. When mm-hmm. I write, a lot of these books, like "Change Starts with You" in my first book as well, "Let the World See You." A lot of that was written with music in the background. I mean. Um, even that period I told you about, like with my friends and the music there, the day before, or was it that same day or the next day? Um, actually that same day. So the night before I'd been listening to music and, um, songs about like God's love for me. And that's what the counselor told me too. Hey, I hope I recommend you write. I don't know if you're used to journaling, but try to journal. So someone who's grieving, I would say journal. Yep. Right? And then also we talked about listening to music. Mm-hmm. I said, Oh, okay. So, Mind you, I'm meeting with this guy the week before training camp. So I'm like trying to figure out what I, I, whatever. So the night before we're at training camp, all the things it was, excuse me, not the week, the day I reported to training camp was my first meeting with this counselor. Oh my goodness. I reported that morning and I, I, I report, meet the counselor in the morning, go to training camp that night. So like that night I'm, I'm writing, listening to music and the songs that came on or that whatever on YouTube, whatever I went to were all songs about God's love Hmm. songs about like how he saw the best in me when everyone else around could only see the worst in me songs about him finding my heart and chasing me down all these things yeah so that's that day well i told you about the incident and the tears all things well that same day i believe or you know maybe the next day long story short the day after i listen to all these songs i'm in the locker room i'm sitting down and i'm just there <laughs> you know one of my teammates looks at me. He's like, "Actually, are you good?" I'm like, "Man, I'm not." I, I wanted to be like, oh, "I'm good. I'm good, man. Your life is good, whatever." But I'm like, "Hey, you know what? I'm. A, you ask. I'm be honest. It's like, dude, I'm struggling. Hmm. I'm not good." Huh. They said, "Hey, man, I don't know whatever you got going on, but number one, like, we've all been there, and number two, you got to let it out. Got to let it out." So I'm like, "All right, like the locker room, like let it out. You got to let it out." So I. I look to my left, look to my right, and all of a sudden the tears start to flow again. Huh. And I'm like, man, what is going on? And a lot of the guys had already kind of left to go to lunch after our, you know, we had our, our conditioning test. But another guy walked in and he sees me sitting with one of my other teammates and he immediately goes from our locker room speaker, goes to there and changes the songs, you know, whatever rap or country we're listening to. And I kid you not, seven out of the eight songs that he played were the same exact songs that I'd been listening to the night before as I was weeping the night before. Wow. So like this idea of like God uses whatever to get to us, music, friends, pain, purpose, tears, emotions, stop blocking them off and stop going around. He's like, no man, come, come to me, you know, address that stuff and I will be with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. 
Uh, one of the things that uh, you, you just mentioned a second ago is how some of that, the, the pain that you've experienced led to some great stuff that happened in the city of Chicago. Um, you tell the story in the book, you're there with a handful of different athletes. Uh, I guess, uh, what was the quarterback's name? I just forgot his name. Yeah, Mitch was there, and then you had uh, guys Alan from Robinson. the White Sox. You had yeah. uh, Alan Ryan Robinson was a receiver playing for y'all. Uh, but then the the Cubs outfielder who had just signed, I guess, a free agent deal not too many years before. Jason Hayward. Yes, thank you for all this. As a Texas sports fan, don't know Chicago sports perfectly, so I appreciate the, the grace there. Um, you guys are doing this like kind of like a bus tour, basically. Is yeah. that a fair, fair description of it? He yeah. clearly has this emotional response to it. You reach out, hey, Jay, what's going on, man? You guys get connected, a handful of other people get on board, and the project you guys attempt to tackle is the project of food deserts. First of all, can you explain what that is to, for those of us who don't have much familiarity with it? Yeah, so food desert is simply an area where there's n- no access to either healthy food or any kinds of food, right? So, for example, this yeah. area of town, we come to found out that there were two grocery stores and 17 liquor stores within a half-mile radius, so there are certain parts of town in Austin and, and, and Dallas and Houston and Chicago and yeah. overseas where there's just no access to food. We ask some kids from the neighborhood, hey, where do you get your food? They say, well, we want to get food. We go to the gas station. We go to McDonald's. Yeah. I said, no, no, food, not like gas. No, go to the yeah. gas station or McDonald's. We said, what if you want to get something healthy? Like, where do you go? They said, Sam, if you want to get healthy food or, or something organic, we have to commute 45 minutes to the next that's city. Yeah, that's tough. So, that, so that's what food desert. And so the long and short of it is there was a lot of pain we were processing. COVID had happened. Sports were canceled. Uh, we're seeing all these disparities in the world. People can't get toilet paper. People can't get anything. And then all of a sudden, George Floyd is killed. Ahmaud Arbery is killed. Like, there's this racial stuff going on, disparities, injustice, all these things. We're looking like, what do we do? I can't just sit here. What do I, What can I do? And so I was ready to protest. I was ready to, to whatever, do whatever it took. And I reached out to some nonprofit leaders who I met while I was playing with the Bears. I said, hey, what do y'all need from us? What do you need from me? You want us to post a tweet to the president? You want us to, what do you need? And they said, Sam, honestly, right now, all our kids need is for someone to listen to them and help them process what's going on. So so I said, all right, I'll do that. (laughs) And so I called up some friends and some friends called me. I was I say friends, half of these guys I just met and, and, and men and men and women I just met, but athletes from all the different sports teams in Chicago. Players from the Cubs, the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the White Sox, the Bears, the Chicago Sky, WNBA team. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know what we're gonna do, but I think they need us to listen. I said, All right, cool. And after listening, we said, What if we took a tour of this neighborhood, right? You see on the news looting and rioting and chaos and all the things. So we, let's, let's actually see if that's real, you know, like, so we listened and heard the pain of people in that community. A lot of black kids in that, I heard a black girl in that community say a 14 year old, cause it was her and it was some cops together, some athletes. She said to one of the police officers, how come when I watch TV, it's only people who look like me that are on TV that are getting shot and killed by police. How come that's what I see? We heard officers say, man, sometimes our job is not sometimes our job is to protect and serve. And sometimes we forget the serve part. We heard pro athletes, millionaires, multimillionaires say, man, I thought I'd be immune from this, but I get racially profiled. I feel this. I get some of this happens to me, too, even in my secluded neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we listened and then we decided to look. I talk about this chapter in my book about you know, staying open and being curious. So let's just dig a little bit deeper. I suppose just believing everything we see, lot riots, looting, you know, let's, let's get close. And so we hopped on a bus and took this tour of the West side of Chicago, a neighborhood called Austin. And that's when I didn't know about the stats or information about a food desert. I just wanted to see what was going on. And yes, we saw buildings boarded up. We saw broken glass on the ground, but we also, as I tap Jason Hayward on the shoulder, as he's looking out the window, I'm like, Hey, Jason. Cause I'm thinking what he's thinking. I think, I think I'm thinking what he's thinking. I'm like, Hey man, how many, how many grocery stores have you seen in this community so far? He said, maybe one. I said, how many liquor stores have you seen in this 10, 15 minutes we've been driving? 
He said over 10. So we said, okay, this is a problem. What if there was something we could do about it? So like before we could even like get close, we had to be curious, stay open, but also like allow ourselves to mourn. Hear these kids say, man, nobody cares about my neighborhood. Why would I go clean up my neighborhood when nobody cares about this neighborhood? Mm -hmm. There's no point. There's no purpose. Why am I even here? And so, and so we took this tour, had this idea and then really followed the kids lead and said, Hey, what do y'all need from us? And so, um, we raised in a few weeks, raised half a million dollars, um, bought a liquor store, flipped it and turned it into a food mart about seven weeks later to a pop-up open air food mart, invited Roger Goodell, invited the mayor. She showed Mm -hmm. up, Goodell showed up, superintendent showed up, did a liquor store tear down party. And then, uh, you know, fast forward now, you know, in 2023, that pop-up temporary food mart now is being turned into a permanent food mart. Another fundraiser with not just those 17 athletes who raised half a million. We've invited everyone around the nation, specifically through a Chicago station. We did a 24-hour radio thon to raise mm-hmm. money. Almost 5,000 people donated money to this permanent food mart. Hmm. That speaks to how powerful it is for voices like that 14-year-old girl to speak up and and to, to share what she's going through. Uh, you also talk in the book about uh, law enforcement officers' response of saying, hey, this is something we could do better, and their willingness to be vulnerable and share that. And the willingness for people who, like you said, can, can live in their secluded, comfortable neighborhoods and not ever have to run into some of these problems to be vulnerable, to, to sit and, and to feel all that stuff. I mean, it's really powerful what, what that can happen, but vulnerability is not easy for us to do. It's easier for us to just like, you know, send a tweet or, you know, maybe I'll, I'll write a little check and just stay at, at an arm's length away. But it seems like vulnerability is the, is like a through line for how that story became such a great, uh, you know, 2023, turning that pop-up place into a long-term option for real healthy food. Like that's a, a beautiful ending, but it doesn't happen without vulnerability. It doesn't. And, and that's, like this book is titled change starts with you. And the subtitle is following your fire to heal a broken world. But initially Mm -hmm. before we got these titles and subtitles, the initial subtitle was um, turning your, your pain into purpose. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we all go through pain. We all go through loss. We may not all have these high victories and all national championships, but we all go through defeat. Yeah. We all go through struggle and lose loved ones and and, 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 and and like have broken hearts. And I don't think God wants to waste those moments. In the same way, he doesn't want to waste the moments that are at the high end. He doesn't want to waste the moments that are at the low end. Like when I broke my leg, it could have been a moment where it's like, all right, I'm just going to go in the lab and just grind away or whatever. It's like, no, how about you can still grind and get better and heal. But also there's a new side of you that you don't even know about. And I had to break you to show you about this side. Cause you were so focused on all the other stuff, right? Mm. I broke my leg. Like it wasn't like God, why? I was like, God, okay, what do you want me to do? Not why, but what? Yeah. And he showed me that, Hey Sam, you're more than a football player. And same thing happened after I recovered from that and broke my fit, broke my, uh, tore my peck. That's when I wrote my first book after that injury. And after that injury came after all that loss and the tears, the emotion, the, you know, passion, passion is a, is an emotion. I want people to be passionate. Like passion is an emotion. Yeah. So if you, and it's okay to be passionate, it's okay to be how God made you to be, but I don't think it's okay to just close yourself off to the world because of things that have hurt you. I think God wants to open you up, even if it hurts a little bit, right? That open heart surgery because he wants to show you not only how much he loves you, but how he still can use you, even though you are, or you feel broken and beat up and busted. Yeah. Yeah. You say in the book that uh, discovering the fire enables us to heal the people and places around us. And the idea of like being opened up and, and resisting the temptation, which is, when you get hurt to, to protect yourself, to close yourself up, to, to cross your arms. Like there's a, um, 
uh, Augustine talked about sin as in curvatus say, like sin curves us in on ourself. And the idea of like the spirit is that it opens us up to have this posture that Christ had on the cross of being fully vulnerable to the worst that the world has. And w- once you do that, you experience like the fire that God has placed inside of you, not just brings life to you, but to the world around you. And so I really love how y- you've used your story and not just said, hey, things are great. You know, me and Roger Goodell are buddies. We text back and forth. And, you know, I've got other famous friends and we could have a really comfortable life and just have hang out on Jason's boat uh, and live the good life. But instead, like you've taken this opportunity to bring life to others. So man, m- much respect and I appreciate what you're doing, man. No, thank you. And like, even with you talk about Jason's boat, I talk about that in the book. I don't know if it's a boat or a yacht. I try to look up the differences. You said yacht. I don't. I said I yacht, mean, but I was like, it sounds a little weird. The long and short of it is like, even the highs, right? Oh man, I've, I've, I'm a pro athlete. I have access. I have time yeah. and money. He, after that time with the kids and the officers, I was like, okay, cool. We met, we met again a couple times. We, he invited me, he invited some of those police officers mm-hmm. with him to have conversations with what the thing they got to give. Oh, I, I have this access to this boat or yeah, whatever. I mean, hey, come join me. He invited some of those kids from the community to his games. He invited them to come and hang out with him in his atmosphere. Like he used his gifts for God's glory. He felt the pain, but he said one thing he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, hey, because we did a Zoom call with some people who were helping us volunteer with the nonprofit uh, athletes for justice. He said, Hey, all this emotion and all this anger and all this frustration, take aim, take aim. And I saw that so visually of like, he's a baseball player and a picture. Imagine like the ball being this frustration, anger, doubt, shame, fear, all of it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, boom, instead of just letting go, take aim and knock that thing out the park. That's good. That's a good word. Yeah, that'll that'll preach. Take aim. Uh, That's good stuff. Um, Hey, this has been wonderful. Uh, When I talked to Steve, he said that the end of the conversation, you're going to feel like you and Sam are best friends. And I feel like, you know, he's not, he's not too far off on that. So Sam, I I get it. I see why you're named as one of the six geniuses at the NFL a few years ago. Congrats on that title and uh, keep rubbing it into your brother. I got to start rubbing into my brother, Luke. Thank you for reminding me. And let's both rub it into our brothers, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely tell my brother. The book is Change Starts With You. Uh, when is the release date? March 7th. So it's March available 7th. for pre-order now at com, or you can go to it on Amazon. Uh, and if you pre-order, there's some pretty awesome pre-order bonuses and some content that no one else can get. So yeah, com. Yeah, I think one of the things is you're, you'll actually read the book in Igbo yes. to them yes. in, in uh, the Nigerian language. Oh, in Igbo. So. Oh, okay. So I did. I did do my audio book. I didn't do my first book. I didn't do the audio. People were mad at me. I was glad with the audio guy. Second book, I was like, you know what? Let me do the audio. So I, they allowed me to do the audio. I did not do it in Igbo, nor did I did it in my in my Igbo accent. Oh, it's um, a shame. If you would like, I can do my accent for the entire book. I can just talk like this, and it would be a great, yeah. great read. Yeah. It sounds pretty good. Let me tell you something from my experience. Uh, at our church, we have um, a, a fair, fair amount of people who've come to the States from Rwanda and the Congo and uh, immigrants and refugees. And I've done a couple weddings where I've tried to do part of it in Kenyarwandan or Swahili, and everyone laughs. And I've been told that that is a cultural sign of appreciation uh, for white people when they do that. And so hopefully you get the same response that I get. Change starts with us, man. It's easy, Luke. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go, my man. Great job, man. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks.